thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazel, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. Hello, Connie. Hi, Jale. How are you doing this week? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I want to address some information that has come to light in the past week mm-hmm. about your personal habits. Oh, yeah. I don't want to expose you here, but that is exactly what I'm going to do. Right. So, first of all, do you want to do you want to tell our dear listeners your routine for going to bed? <laughs> okay, yeah. I know, people find it really strange, but I've just I've done it for quite a long time now. But I sleep with an eye mask, so like something that covers Yeah, which your, is yeah, like normal-ish, yeah. And earplugs. And if Yeah, like every night. Pretty, yeah, every single night. So you're dead to the world. That's what I find weird. <laughs> yeah, I am. I think I'm just not the best sleeper naturally, so I kind of just have to block out all noise. And you neutralise every single threat. Yes, no light, no sound. And you don't, you aren't freaked out by that? No, I love it. <laughs> it's just great, great vibes. Don't have to hear anything, don't have to see don't anything. <laughs> It's like being in a coma, although I guess that is sleeping normally anyway. Yeah. Well, okay, well, that in itself, I mean, again, I was disturbed when I first heard that, but fine, in isolation. But then mm. we're on a video call the other day, <laughs> and you had a t-shirt on your head. Yeah. <laughs> so this is my hair, post-hair wash routine thing. And basically I heard that if you... So most girls wrap their hair in that towel turban Most thing. girls. Do which you, do you, you are not off? like most no. girls. <laughs> oh my God, again, I'm like, pick me, guys. <laughs> I'm not like most girls, I'm special. Um, No, so basically instead of that, I've seen that people say the towel makes your hair frizzy. Oh. And anyone who's seen me knows I have quite large hair. It's like curly. You have beautiful pre-Raphaelite curls, is what I'd Thank say. Thank you, that was a very positive way to look at it. It's like a lot, Hagrid, we're thinking. <laughs> so to try and tame the frizz... And make it just like curly, not frizzy. I've attempted to use a t-shirt, which apparently absorbs, like absorbs the water rather than making it oh. frizzy. I don't really know how it works, but where did you get that top tip? You know what? I can't exactly remember. I think it was a YouTube. A lot of curly hair routine people make curly hair routines on YouTube, and wow. I watched a couple of those because I never knew how to look after curly hair and that you had to do different stuff to straight hair. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah, like you don't brush curly hair because otherwise it just goes puffy. You never brush your hair? So, basically, no. I used to brush my hair. So, I don't know if you remember, but, like, it used to look kind of different. Like, in sick form, it was just kind of, like, poofy, but not really curly. (laughs) But now, it's more curly and less just poofy, because I don't brush it in between All these technical terms. Poofy versus (laughs) curly versus frizzy. (laughs) Wow, I'm learning so much. So, okay, well, both of those have been actually quite fairly explained. Now I feel mean. But do you come... Why... (laughs) Why had these never come out before? Like, I don't know. Because <laughs> we've, like, travelled together. And, yeah. I don't know. I don't, like, usually announce the eye mask thing. I'm not like, okay, guy's going to put my eye mask on now. Okay, guy's going to put it. a t-shirt on my head now. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fair enough. Do you come from a family of these strange habits? Um, <laughs> I do, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, the, the others, my mum and my sister, they don't do that, the hair towel thing. Mm. They do sleep with socks. They also sleep with eye mask, I think. Okay. And sometimes my mum will like have her socks half on, half off in the night if her okay. foot is like a bit cold on the toes. So she keeps it on the toes, slips it off the heel. Yeah. Wow. She says she calls it at half mast. My sock is at <laughs> half mast. 
good times all around. Wow, absolutely house. love that. God, I feel like I've been a fly on the wall in the castle household, and I've really enjoyed it. Well, thanks for that. Have you watched anything good recently, Jean? I need some recommendations. Yeah, well, I actually finally watched something that's been on my Netflix list for a long time. It was the documentary What Happened, Miss Simone, uh, which is directed by Liz Garbus. It came out in 2015, and it's essentially a biopic of Nina Simone's life. But I just found it really fascinating. It It was an insight into her talent, her sort of conflicted character in a way, But the bit that I had no idea about was how much her career had been impacted by her involvement in the civil rights movement in America. Um, So it starts off, she was born Eunice Wayman. Again, didn't know that that was her um, original name. Um, She was born Eunice Wayman in North Carolina and she came from a very poor background. Um, But she was basically incredibly talented at the piano from a really young age and ended up receiving classical training from a teacher who was literally on the other side of the tracks because North Carolina was still like segregated at this oh, stage. Wow. Um, so she went to her piano lessons in the white part of town, which they they touch on it a few times throughout the documentary, but it feeds into her idea that she was too black in many ways and too white in others. And right. it's like this whole conflict of identity, which I think added to her difficulties in later life. Um but she was prevented from studying at the music school she wanted to go to because she was black. Oh. Um, so that's when she went to show business because she just had to make money. Um, and the best parts of the documentary, the bits that I found most captivating are the clips of her performing. Because um, she's just such a magnetic presence on stage and that comes through even through film. Like the the videos of live performances were just incredible. Um, and her classical training basically meant that she she could fuse different musical styles, like she was so accomplished. Um, and that was just her ease at the piano also really came through. Um, and obviously what she's known for is her distinctive voice. There was this really nice quote where she spoke about how um, her voice can either sound like gravel or like coffee and cream, depending on the emotion that she's trying to convey. Oh, so nice. Yeah, which I'm true, was, isn't it? Yeah, it is true, absolutely. Um, and obviously it touched on her private life. Uh, she suffered domestic abuse from her husband, who was also her manager. Um, and she herself had quite violent mood swings and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder a lot later in her life. Um, um, yeah, and it's, it, is, it was really interesting. There was interviews with her daughter and her ex-husband in the documentary. Um, and also excerpts from her diary, which... I hadn't personally seen in a documentary before, but they were like very personal thoughts, which offered a real insight into how she was thinking and feeling and, you know, conjures up this image of a very passionate, quite troubled woman. But I was also a bit like, it's literally reading someone's diary. Yeah, it's that bit invasive. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, whoa. Whoa. Um, No, that's really interesting. You mentioned earlier that she was involved in the civil rights movement and I actually didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, that's actually a huge part of the biopic. So essentially her really vocal support of the civil rights movement really damaged her commercial career. Oh. Um, I don't know if you know, it's songs like Mississippi Goddamn, um, which made a massive impact because back then Goddamn was seen as a swear word. Oh, right, yeah. Um, 
and it was written after the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Alabama. Oh, yeah, I do remember um, learning about that. Yeah, I think we've, we studied it in school, I remember. Um, it's just, like, awful hate crime where the KKK bombed a church and killed four black girls. Horrible. Um, and, yeah, but she also wrote To Be Young, Gifted and Black. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a clip of her performing that at, like, a, a university graduation and there's only like 300 black students in the whole of the um, graduating class, but you just see their faces and it clearly means so much that she's made Aww. that song. Um, yeah, anyway, and then she later moves to Liberia in Africa and has a comeback in the 1980s, so it really spans the whole of her life. Um, and the clothes are amazing mm-hmm. because it's like that period of the 60s and there's this really distinctive image where she's going on stage and she's getting her makeup applied with like really thick black eyeliner with oh, diamante wow. studs on her eyelids and her eyebrows. Oh gosh, love it. I know, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, so my main takeaway, I mean, I find it quite annoying when people throw around the word genius a lot because mm. it's, you know, quite a weighted term. Um, but I really do think she was a genius. Like that's what came through basically. She was just so exceptional as a musician, as a personality, as a performer. Um, and I think it's quite important that she found her calling in the civil rights activism of the time. Um, and just really sad that ultimately, I mean, she left America for Liberia because she just felt so let down by the racism that was oh, continuing. That's really sad. Yeah, it's really sad. But it was it was nice watching it now because in light of Black Lives Matter... I felt that we were at a stage now where there's a lot more hope and optimism about anti-racism um, than there was at the time when she had kind of given up on the whole yeah. activism scene. Um, so, yeah, there was, there was a sense... I felt a sense of progress um, since the time where it was depicting yeah. her life. So, That's really good. And I'm yeah. sure she'd be really happy that, or not happy that things are still bad, but happy that people are still taking the stand. Yeah, exactly. Because it has been, I mean, this is the, the upsetting thing is that this is essentially the first time since the civil rights movement that racism has been like at the top of the agenda. Mm. So, but it's scary that it's basically taken a lifetime for it to yeah. come back around. Now it's time for Nice Nuggets of News, a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by. So, Jar, I'm really excited to hear your Nice Nuggets this week. Well, you should be. They're very uplifting. I read an obituary for a woman who was the world's oldest female skydiver. Wow. She was from Wales. She was from Cardiff. She was called Dillis Price. And she started skydiving when she was 54 um, and went on to do hundreds of skydives all over the world, set the Guinness World Record for the oldest female solo parachute jump Whoa! at aged 80. Oh my gosh, go Dillis. I know, living her life. Um, And there's some really nice descriptions of her in this piece. Um, One person said she always with a twinkle in her eye grabbed life with both hands until the end. Um, which I just thought was really nice. And there's pictures of her and she's got, she's actually my old lady style icon because this is fully what I'm going to aim for in later life. Um, The pictures of her, she's got like white hair with pink streaks in it and she wears these like chunky necklaces and multicolored outfits 
and I'm just going to remember that for 70 years time because that is going to be my aesthetic well that sounds amazing mm. I'm so glad we've heard about Dillis amazing <laughs> life yeah. what about you Connie what nice nuggets have you got today uh, well, I saw a great Instagram post today, actually, um, about how five women have become the first all-female fire rescue team in Palm Beach Gardens Fire Department. Wow, that is so cool. I actually saw the picture for this, and I really liked it because they're, like, standing in front of the fire truck, and it looks like the poster for, like, a really cool, like, all-female action movie. But yeah. it's in real life. It looks insane. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should become fire women. Yeah. I mean, I, actually, I don't think I'd be very well suited to that. I don't think I'd pass the physical test, whatever that requires. Oh, there's a physical test. I mean, you have to be able to, like, run, probably, and climb. <laughs> <laughs> to name just two. <laughs> actually, that's true, yeah. And carry that hose. That's probably quite heavy. Okay. Yeah, on second thoughts, perhaps not. I was more thinking of just the posing in front of a fire truck. We should just do that. Okay, we could just do that in our spare time. We don't have to have the profession to go with it. It's a day. <laughs> Don't you have another nice nug about a teapot? Oh my God, yes. Well, allegedly a teapot. We'll come on to that. Um, This is a story that a man in Derbyshire found what he thought was a teapot in his garage when he was clearing it out um, in lockdown, which has now sold for (gasps) £390,000 at an auction. It's a real antiques roadshow style success story, which we are all here for, as I'm sure you agree. Um, basically it turned out to be a Chinese wine ewer. Is that how you say that word? I've never seen that before. I th- okay, well, we're welcome to corrections if anyone wants to get in touch. E-W-E-R, wine ewer? Anyway, yeah. um, it's beautiful. It's a lovely yellow colour with floral designs. Um, and the man, who remains anonymous, said he almost took it to a charity shop. <gasps> so lucky. I know, so lucky. His granddad apparently brought it back to England um, when he was serving in China in World War Two. So that's how it got into the family. Oh, wow. Um, but the best part of this story is the quote they have from the man himself, who said that he was watching the auction at home with his family. And he said... It was tense. I got a few cans of Guinness in beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Yeah, which is great. Um, Yeah, and the people who were running the auction said that it was one of the most important objects they've ever sold. Wow. Quote, it has to be the best lockdown find ever. That's amazing. Isn't it? Have you done any clearing out during lockdown? Um, well, we moved house. Oh, so, of course. Yeah, we did do a bit. But, I, I've, well, we probably chucked everything out that was worth £390,000. Michelle, <laughs> have you read anything good recently? Yeah, I've just finished a novel called Indelicacy by Amina Kane, which was a very strange little book. Um... It was written from the perspective of a woman who starts off as a cleaner in an art gallery and her dream is to write about art, like her passion is writing, she just wants to let her creative energies flow. Um, oh, sounds great. Um, why, why was it strange in particular? Why was it strange? Well, several reasons. Firstly, it's set in a really ambiguous time period. Like, you know it's at some point in the past, but there's mentions of, like really modern details that seem like they could be in the present. So she talks about black backless bathing suits, which seems like a modern piece of clothing. Um, But then when she's like out and about in the town, there are harpsichords playing in the shops and there are carriages and things are lit by candlelight. 
and stuff. Oh, that I know. is really weird. Yeah, it's a really weird mix. But then even apart from that, the vibe is is kind of like a fairy tale because the markers of time in the novel are quite loose. It's not very obviously structured. Um, and stuff like, it's not very specific. So the place names aren't mentioned very often. You're not really sure what city she's living in when she's writing this. Um, and some of this is clearly deliberate. Like the narrator names her maid, Solange, but she never names her husband, which is clearly a little bit of a power play move. Right. Um, a kind of a feminist inversion of what normally happens because you normally know the name of the man of the household but would never know the name of the maid. Mm. Um, but, and again, apart from that, it's got a really simple narrative style. The chapters are often only like two or three pages long, um, which is interesting actually because I read a article in the Financial Times which was reviewing it. This is a piece by Isabel Burrick. Um, and she describes the writing style as modern flat, which I thought was quite a good phrase. She says, it has qualities that include, but are not limited to, deceptively simple structures, first person narration, usually by a woman, and short, almost curt sentences, all of which serve to conceal something deeper and sometimes unsettling beneath that calm surface, which is definitely the atmosphere of the book. It's slightly ghostly. Mm, it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, so what um what happens? What's it about? Okay, well, so the main character, you find out that she's called Vittoria comparatively mm. late in the book. And she starts off as a cleaner and then she marries a, a wealthy man. So she's obviously kind of ascending up the social ladder. Um, but the main theme is that she's just consumed by her desire to write. Like she's obsessed by the, the need to write and think about art and she's like a very aesthetically focused person so a lot of the descriptions are about the art she encounters or about landscapes or about her experiences of going to the theatre or clothes or her own feelings and curiosity about the world um and I liked it because it has she writes with a self-confidence which is quite unusual in a female first person narrator I felt especially since it's set in a time period when women clearly aren't expected to have an intellectual curiosity um she's very single-minded about her desire to write and how determined she is to to reach that goal i'm just gonna read a quote from it which kind of demonstrates her like bolshiness okay so this is when she's talking about how much she's writing occasionally a man would walk by and ask what i was doing a menu for a dinner party i would say or i am writing down my dreams when too many men had walked by with the same question or some version of it, I said, your face looks like the butt of a wolf and it's interfering with my concentration. I was a rich woman now. I could say these things. <laughs> oh my God, I love I it. So, but, that's, but that sounds so modern. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It sounds so cool, but like very <laughs> random. <Yeah. laughs> that is basic. That would be my sum of the book. Very cool. Pretty random. I think, from what I understand, I think it's basically about female self-realization like she has her meaningful relationships are with the women in her life she has really close female friendships love that. um yeah <laughs> yeah you love that um and her friend dana for example becomes a ballet dancer and like that's a really big theme because she's reaching her goal separate from her husband etc um overall i'd say i mean don't read it if you're looking for a really exciting plot or a mm -hmm. page turner okay. because there are some unexpected developments but I just enjoyed it because it was so strangely atmospheric. And and yeah, it's nice to be inside the head 
of a female narrator who's so self-assured about what she wants and her like creative goals basically welcome to from a list to gen z the segment where we talk in detail about the wild world of celebrities So, Jar, do you have any good celeb stories for me from this past week? I do. I read an interview with Nigella Lawson on the weekend, um, which actually made me really unexpectedly upset because I didn't realise how difficult her life had been. Like, she lost her mum in her early 20s and also her sister died prematurely and her first husband. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. She That's was, like, so nursing. Yeah, it was horrible. She was nursing her first husband for, like, four years until he died. Oh, no. Um... And then there was all the Charles Saatchi stuff. Do you remember that paparazzi yeah, picture where she, where he's like grabbing her throat and shutting off his her nose with his hand? It's like really horrible. It looks so weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then there was an excerpt from her book where she talks about how guilty pleasures shouldn't be a thing because yeah. basically you shouldn't blame yourself for enjoying food. And it linked quite nicely with the interview because she speaks about how she's she thinks of herself now as a mended person and she's like happier now she's in her 60s than she ever has been so that was really nice yeah i also can't believe she's in her 60s i know she's looking good i know (laughs) respect yeah in fact i actually um you know so context like there was this um a bit of outrage this week about this government advert um oh yeah i saw this yeah where there's a picture of a ballet dancer and it says like Fatima's next job could be in cyber yeah. on it, basically encouraging people to kind of retrain and go into cyber, which it turns out is actually from a year ago. So it was from a year ago. Yeah, it's and I think people have really um, interpreted it in the context of the coronavirus. And yeah, like that comment that somebody made, being like retrain. Yeah, if you're in the arts, Rishi Sunak, I think. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, it's not actually relevant. I don't think it's that relevant to that. But anyhow, there were a lot of memes about it this week with like pictures of Dominic Cummings. I mean, like his next job could be in um, like um, an optometrist or whatever. Oh, God. Um, and there was one of Nigella. Oh saying, my God. Um, Nigella's next job could be on OnlyFans. No, <laughs> that's outrageous. But to be fair, she'd make a killing on OnlyFans. She'd be a knockout. Like, yeah. Have you seen when Gogglebot what Gogglebot yes. even watch her? They're just so thirsty. Yeah, they, they love, love it. Love her. Well, that's so funny. For own for anyone who doesn't know, by the way, OnlyFans has recently really blown up, mm. and it's essentially a, a paid subscription service, um, where the people on it produce content for their fans only, which is why it's called OnlyFans. Um, but it's got a bit of a reputation for basically being a bit of a sex pot. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> These things do happen on the internet. Um, so obviously Nigella probably won't go into that. But no. again, if she chose to, she would be very successful at it, I'm sure. <laughs> what about you, Connie? What's your celeb news? Uh, well, last week I actually watched the very exciting Savage X Fenty show. <gasps> Did you? Yes. Oh, so good. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, this is Rihanna's lingerie brand, Savage X Fenty. They have an annual fashion show, very much in the trend of other lingerie mm, brands. Victoria's Secret, exactly. looking at you. Um, so this this is actually the second year of the show, and I didn't watch last year's. So It wasn't as big an event last right. year, I don't think. Okay. Um, yeah, and I saw... So the reason I actually chose to watch it was I saw a meme about it basically saying, um, 
directly comparing it to the Victoria's Secret fashion show um, because Rihanna had a very diverse cast yeah. and basically um, mentioning the comments made by Victoria's Secret. I think it was their old director of marketing. Oh, who's so dodgy and weird. Yeah, who yeah. made comments about trans people and yeah. plus-size people and basically said they didn't fit with the fantasy. Yeah. Um, whereas, by contrast, Savage X Fenty show very much, like, put minority uh, bodies and, like... Um, bodies on the, I don't know, fringes of, mm. like, mainstream media. Mm. Um, very much at the forefront, yeah. I would say. Um, so it was very much, like, super diverse cast. They had a lot of celebs and a lot of um, musical performances. Mm. And it was quite... It wasn't, in a way, I wouldn't really describe it as a fashion show at all because it was more, like, a kind of choreographed concert, in a way. Like a variety show. Yeah, it was mm. like a variety show. It was kind of... There were, it was very artistic and there was a lot of, yeah, a lot of choreo. Mm. So it was, it was really cool. A lot of famous faces, including um, people who'd been in the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. So Cara Delevingne was in there. Oh, really? Bella Hadid was in there. She had a few other, like Paris Hilton. Oh, interesting. Big, yeah, yeah, interesting. She had a few people who just performed. So Rosalia. Who I love. Big fan. And Erica Jane, who is in The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, your fave. My fave. Um, they also had some of my absolute fave drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> <laughs> uh, including Miss Shea Coulee. So I'm just literally just listing people here. Really good. Um, and our current reigning queen, Miss Jade Essence Hall. Um, yeah, so I think one of the best things about it was the diversity. As I said, like, they had some age representation in there, like, 40-plus ladies. Mm. Uh, they also had plus-size men, which is, I think, pretty important, because you don't often see plus-size men. Yeah, that's a demographic that I've never seen in the yeah. fashion world. Catwalks are just waking up to plus-size models on, like, for women's wear, but I've never seen it for men's wear. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, um, like, different shapes, sizes, and colours. So they had, like, plus-size black men, mm. plus-size black women, like, plus-size black trans women. Mm. Every, like, everyone you could think of was included. They were wearing their lingerie, like, looking super sexy and owning it and everything, um, which was really nice to see, to be mm. honest. Just very, um, very original. Yeah. Um, a quote that I had from a Vogue article by Janelle Okwodu um, was that, as revealing as Victoria's Secret shows were, sensuality was always hidden by a layer of bubblegum. That's, that's kind of interesting. That's such a good phrase, isn't it? Yeah. But that was what I always found slightly, apart from just the relentless objectification and the fact that it didn't look fun at all to be a Victoria's Secret model, I, that's what I found slightly weird and disturbing about the Victoria's Secret shows, is that it was always like, it was quite like girly like little girls like pink and feathers and mm. glitter and everything which you know is often my aesthetic so I'm not putting that down but lingerie is a grown-up thing so I'm not sure how healthy it is to be buying into an aesthetic that seems directed at like seven-year-old girls yeah I completely agree mm. um I think that kind of ties into all those like gross things where like men love you know, the like, the most popular porn category is often teen and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It's just all a bit mm. nasty. Um, but yeah, there was something very grown up about the Savage X show. Mm. I thought it was very, like, dark mm. aesthetic. Um, and everyone looked like a grown-ass woman, yeah. I would say. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah, very nice. Um, and like you were saying how you never thought it was fun to be a mm. BS angel. I think that was because a lot of 
the press around the shows was wrapped up in how much they were they were training and restricting yes. basically what they were eating and stuff to be part of the show and like their boot camp regime and yeah train like a victoria's secret angel um it was really nice that i mean i don't know what the models went through for savage x Fenty, but there was no weight limit there yeah. was no body type that was allowed wasn't allowed yeah there was no one that was like too thin too fat so yeah, that was really cool it's embracing the nigella philosophy yeah no guilty pleasures yeah so i heard through the grapevine that you went to an exhibition this week i did you have your ear to the floor there (laughs) nice work um yeah i went to see the exhibition from kyoto to catwalk at the victorian albert museum the exhibition is about the role of the kimono in japanese culture which was super fascinating. Didn't know anything about kimono beforehand. It's kimono in the plural as well as in the singular. That's oh one thing I found out. I would, know, I would have always said kimonos. Yeah, and you would have been a fool. Yes. But now you know. Um, yeah, so the kimono is a Japanese garment and it can be worn by men and women. That's another thing I didn't know. I thought it was just for women um, and of all ages. So they had some for like younger children and adults and it was really nice um so it's been around since the 17th century which i thought was amazing because if you think about the longevity of a piece of clothing like in the west what people were wearing in the 17th century was like gowns and breeches and just nothing that we would wear now whereas this Japanese garment has lasted that's a really good point yeah isn't it it's yeah i thought that was so interesting so uh, what did you learn in the exhibition? I learned, I learned a lot of things, actually. The purpose of it, I think, was to show that despite its longevity, the kimono was constantly reacting to social changes and political changes um, throughout its whole history. So the first room begins with Kyoto, which is modern Tokyo, um, in the Edo period, which is 1615 to 1868. Um, because Kyoto was the centre of luxury kimono manufacture during that time. Um, And the kind of socio-political angle is that they became really popular with the rise of the merchant class um, because it was a way to show off their wealth, to have these really luxurious and like fancy kimono. Um, And the clothes themselves that they have in the exhibition are so beautiful, like floral patterns and landscapes and even waterfalls. They sew into into the material with like gold thread. Honestly, would just go to look at the the pretty kimono. Um, did they do they wear anything on like underneath or is it to the floor? If they had like underskirts because they have like another garment they wear underneath it that's made of a lighter material. They had that as well. So interesting. So did they have anything else in the show? Was it just kimono? No, they had loads of stuff. So they had these really intricate Japanese prints from the 1700s that I thought were just so crazy because of the parallels to like modern commercial culture so they showed these prints showed famous kimono shops and the brands that were most popular um and I I picked out one particular image there's this woman who's sitting and she's doing her hair in a mirror and her combs and her like items of her toilet on the floor um and among the items is this makeup packaging from the Sanjoko brand, which I just thought was an immediate parallel to like modern day 
Instagram influencers, you know, when they just like do a picture or something yeah. and they'll just be like a MAC cosmetic or just to show that that's the brand that they're using and that's what they prefer. And I was like, oh my God, they were doing this in the 1700s. That's crazy. Because <laughs> that's <laughs> such an image that you would see yeah. on Instagram today. Yeah, it was How so cool. similar. But also it, the similarities went beyond that because there was also this intersection with celebrity culture because in Japanese society in the 1700s, all the actors were male, um, but the actors were also like celebrity figures. So the actors would wear kimono in these really jazzy, like innovative designs, um, like checkerboard print, you know, black and white squares. Yeah. Um, And then those designs were immediately imitated by like fashionable Japanese women who wanted to look like the celebs of the day, basically. That is crazy. I know, it was so, there was a lot to gain from it. And then it goes, the exhibition goes on to discuss the influence of the kimono design on Western culture, you know, through trade with Japan. But also more recently, there's like high fashion pieces by designers like John Galliano or Alexander McQueen that have taken the slightly looser shape um, of the kimono and used it in modern designs. Um, So yeah, I just absolutely loved it. Like both for the, the visual intricacy of the objects they were showing um but I thought it achieved its purpose because it tried to show the kimono as a fluid garment that sort of changed with the times even though its actual structure remained the same for a long time um and even though more recently we'd think of it as a symbol of quite traditional Japanese culture actually its history has a lot more to do with displays of wealth and celebrity and you know different technical achievements than we might immediately think Sounds so great. I'd love Mm. to see that exhibition. Yeah, you should go. And now on to Whack or Woke, where we re-watch pre-2010 TV series and films and see how they hold up from a Gen Z perspective. So this week on Whack or Woke, we watched... Gossip Girl, exciting. Uh, This was season one, episode one, the pilot episode, Mm -hmm. and it was filmed in 2007. Uh, Context is that Serena returns from boarding school and goes to Blair's party, and it's kind of setting everything up, the plot and storyline between all the characters. And the infighting and their wealthy families. and Yeah, and the whole Gossip Girl idea of a secret, anonymous person. Blogger. Blogger, yeah, yeah, who basically gossips about all these rich kids on the upper east side yeah um this isn't anything to do with you know hard cutting analysis but i forgot that blake lively's like permanent expression throughout gossip girl is that like slightly distracted pout do you know what i mean like she never fully closes her mouth Mm. and also she does this thing when she's very distressed she like half blinks without closing her eyes do you know what i mean yeah, she she does a bit of the smiles, doesn't she? Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of smizing. But like the like eye flicker I'd forgotten about. <laughs> Sorry, that's really not relevant. Um on to the analysis of Whack or Woke. Yeah, was it whack? Was it woke? What were we thinking? Oh, I think it was pretty whack. I think it was pretty whack. <laughs> I mean, so the context is that Blair and Nate, two of the characters, have been dating for years and haven't had sex. Um the main problem character is Chuck who is Nate's best friend. And there's a bit where he he says to Nate, he's he's talking about the context of how wealthy their families are and how privileged they are. And he says to Nate that he's entitled to tap that ass. 
Which it doesn't. It sounds funny when I say it, but Chuck is played as a very like sinister and creepy character. Yeah. And talking about entitlement in like a social way, in a sexual way, and then in a sexual way is just like so icky. It's really gross. Yeah. And then there's another bit where they're on the school bus, and Chuck is speaking about seeing Serena for the first time in a year. And he tells Nate, Serena looked effing hot last night. There's something wrong with that level of perfection. It needs to be violated. Gross. I know. He's just so gross, isn't he? He's like, he's so rapey. But then what I thought was interesting about that is that Nate's reaction... Okay, fair play, Nate, I think is meant to be, you know, he's a few sandwiches short of a picnic. (laughs) But he was like... Nate Nate's reaction is to say to Chuck you're deeply disturbed but like his expression doesn't change at all if someone said that to me I'd be like what is wrong with you yeah Yeah. you'd probably be like I don't want to be friends yeah I'd hit the roof yeah (laughs) so I mean that in itself was odd and odd male male behavior I found um and it does get worse from there then it moves on to Chuck's flirting with Serena and she kind of has her own problems so she's been drinking quite a lot um and it's the conversation's really weird she says it she says he likes it when any girl talks to him as kind of like an insult and then he says actually i prefer it when they're not talking Mm, and then he's like maybe we should catch up take our clothes off stare at each other and then he basically just jumps on her yeah (laughs) no and then he blackmails her yeah and then he jumps on her. So he knows something about her and then basically tries to force her to have sex with him because yeah. he knows it. Um, he's just so... And then he later on does it to another girl in the same episode. Not the blackmail, but he preys on, like, Jenny, Lil mm. J, who's much younger than the rest of the characters. So mm. she's kind of on her own at the party and he lures her away mm. and flies her with alcohol, which is just so uncomfortable. Yeah, He clearly is such a predator. Yeah. Um... Yeah. And it's such stereotypical predator behaviour as well. It's almost a cliche to watch it now. Mm. Like, if you compare that to something like I May Destroy You, that's done in such a, like, nuanced way, it's... I I found that comparison quite shocking. Um, And then, I guess there's a point to be made that Gossip Girl... The whole premise is that it's meant to be a really shocking show about teenage lives. Yeah, and it's the pilot. Exactly. Obviously, he's setting up for the whole like social scenario and they want it to be really exciting and you want they want you to keep watching and being like oh what's gonna happen yeah but as a development point it's weird because after this chuck becomes like a standard and quite sympathetic character like he's always a bit of a douchebag but the fact that he's basically an attempted rapist yeah it's a weird choice yeah then make him a good guy yeah um after that pilot but also it's unresolved like he interacts with these women throughout the next like six or seven seasons and they're not like wow you did that to me yeah and it was horrific (laughs) it's it's so yeah it's it's odd that but then again it was 2007 different time different time and i think teen series in particular have got a lot better at depicting the weirdness of yeah. a time when you're figuring out your sexuality and figuring out how to talk about sex and also behave in a way that's acceptable and not violent towards other people. <laughs> yeah. So how are you thinking? Whack? You thinking pretty whack? whack. Yeah, I'm thinking pretty whack as well. That 
that's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners and social media followers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to follow us on social media at From A to Gen Z on Instagram, From A to Gen Z with Connie and Jarlet on Facebook, and at From A to Gen Z Pod on Twitter. Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen Z.